Hello, and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are a faith-filled, family-focused church that's in Lakeville, Minnesota. In a moment, you'll be able to hear a sermon from one of our pastors. We hope that you enjoy and grow closer to God through these messages. Good morning, Celebration. Can you believe it? This summer has flown by. Today, we have our final guest of our Sizzlin' Summer series. I've enjoyed every week, and today will be no exception. It's a joy for me to introduce to you one of my friends, Pastor Tang Vu. Pastor Tang serves as the president of the National Hmong Fellowship of the Assemblies of God. He was saved right here at Celebration Church. He graduated from North Central University. He's a senior pastor right here in the Twin Cities. But today, I've asked my friend to come and share with our church family. You see, I've had the privilege of sharing for the last two years at the National Hmong AG Conference. We've seen the Holy Spirit do incredible things. Some of our pastors have come with me. We've seen gifts of the Spirit in operation in ways the Hmong Fellowship had never experienced. So today, I'm excited to have my friend, someone who gives God thanks for the ministry of celebration. Would you welcome my friend, Pastor Tang Vu to Celebration. Hello, Celebration Church. It is good to be here. Thank you, Pastor Dan, for the introduction and with Pastor Derek. Um, Thank God for today. He's the one that gives us life and he's the one that woke us up this morning. Aren't you grateful that God woke you up this morning? I just want to celebrate Pastor Derek, his family, and his staff and leaders. Can we just give a hand to them? What an awesome team and just leadership. And I just want to thank Pastor Derek and his leadership. He doesn't only just serve as your lead pastor, but he serves as the executive presbyter of the metro region for the Minnesota District of the Assemblies of God. And he also serves at a national level. I know that he serves on the committee with AG looking forward with his father, Rick Ross, who is the superintendent for North Carolina. And uh, such a delight to serve with him as well. Anytime I go to the national office and I see Rick Ross, we always take pictures and send him to Derek like, hey, we're here, you know, wish you were here too. And so we love to, to bug Pastor Derek. And I think I text, Pastor Derek, more than I text my wife. And so, but that's just the the brotherhood and the friendship that uh, me and Pastor Derek, we have. And uh, Celebration Church, you guys mean so much to me. Like uh, Pastor Dan said and uh, Pastor Derek said that I got saved at this church uh, 20 years ago. And I can painfully say that today I'm 39 And so that is about 20 years ago, and I'm going to share a little bit, just a short testimony, and I'll share more about that. Um, Me and my wife, we've been married for 11 years. Babe, if you can stand up. Her name is Nia. We're still in our honeymoon stages, so everywhere we go, we hold hands and 
<laughs> so the marriage has been great. And thank you so much, Pastor Dan, for you and your wife to just be an example for all our young people to just stay married and just love each other. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Yes, they deserve a, a, a hand for sure. I just want to introduce my family. If, I could, if you guys can put the picture up real quick. So we've been so busy. We have not taken any current family photos. So this is like a year or two old. But uh, this is my son, Jaden. He's the oldest. He just turned nine. He's super smart. I'm not just saying that because he's my son. But when he was five, uh, he was telling me, Dad, Venus is the hottest planet. And, uh, right? And I'm like, I don't think so. I think the sun is the hottest planet, buddy. <laughs> He's like, no, Dad, trust me, it's Venus. And the sun is not a planet, it's a star. <laughs> I Googled it real quick. And he was right. You see what happens when us pastors, we, we just study the, the word too much and not, right? Not learn other things. <laughs> So, but Owen is uh, turning seven, and uh, just a few weeks ago, we were having dinner. My son, Owen, turns to me. He's like, Dad, so when you die, I will be pastor. So I'm just glad that at least one of them is following my footsteps. <laughs> and of course, Joy is just our bundle of joy. We love her so much, too, and she just brightens the room. And, you know, being a pastor and leader sometimes coming home from all those board meetings and you're tired and sometimes discouraged, right? Um, right when I come home, she comes and she jumps on my lap and kisses me and all my words. I forget that I'm the president of Moe G Fellowship. I forget that I'm the lead pastor of our church and it's just me and my daughter and my kids. And as soon as they go, okay, we're gonna go play with our toys. And then all of that comes back, right? <laughs> all the stress comes back. So. And of course, my beautiful wife, Nia, uh, thank you for saying yes to me, even though I have such a crazy past. Uh, thank you for saying yes to me. So this is my family. Something that we have been praying and we made it our goal in our church is to reach 100 brand new Christians, brand new uh, people, brand new conversions, and that... Um, that they would come to our church and that the, especially the Hmong people would leave shamanism and, and believe in Jesus Christ. So um, God's been just bringing uh, uh, Hmong people and uh, those leaving shamanism. So if we can just have some of those pi pictures up. So this is a gentleman. Uh, him and eight of his family members gave their life to Jesus. And this is a shaman shrine that we tore and we burnt it. Yes, amen, yes, it deserves a clap offering. And uh, what they do here every morning is they, they feed the spirits and they would have to do that every morning, do rituals and things like that to stay connected with the, the spiritual realm. And uh, how many of you know that there's only two spirits in this world, the, the Holy Spirit and demon spirits, right? And so shaman, witch doctors, uh, they claim that there are good spirits and bad spirits. And so when they convert, we have to teach them. They're the only good spirit is the Holy Spirit. And uh, every other spirit is a demon spirit. And so, but we uh, tore down the shrine. If we can turn to the next picture. 
is me sharing the gospel with them. And uh, next picture. And this is us hauling all that stuff with my trailer to the dump to get it burned. And uh, yeah, praise the Lord for that. Amen. And you guys have to understand that witch doctors and shamans are probably, at least in the Hmong community, are the hardest people to convert. Uh, it's hard already because Hmong people are very clannish, right? And uh, not only that, but you are like the head of the Hmong community when it comes to uh, shamanism and animism. Um, so another picture. Um, these are, are strings that they tie around their wrists and doorknobs and, and all over the house. And they believe that uh, when you do this, you are protecting yourself from evil spirits. But what they don't know is they're actually entertaining evil spirits. And so we take all of that off. We burn those things too. Next picture. And these are other uh, red strings and red cloth from a different shaman uh, witch doctor, um, which uh, she came to, to Christ literally like a week ago. And so if you can turn to the next picture. Yeah. And this is her shrine. She has been doing this for two years. And her shrine is a lot smaller, but as they uh, do more of these things, uh, their master will tell them that the spirits are telling them that they could build a bigger shrine because they've been promoted. And so uh, these shrines would get bigger like that other gentleman that you guys have seen. But if you look at the bottom there next to the chicken, uh, which is not a real chicken, but um, there are swords down there that this lady tells us that she would conversate, have normal conversations like we do now with demon spirits. And they would come in the form of people. And they would claim to be ancestors and things like that. And they would tell uh, the shaman people, when you, when you create this sword, this sword is going to protect you and the Hmong people and people you help. And so they would tell her, uh, them to design it this long and make it look like this. And so they would get it paid to make that. Um, so, but we totally destroyed all that and burnt it and uh, all for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Next picture. And then again, this is uh, us hauling stuff away uh, from their house. This process usually takes about two hours because we have to go and share the gospel, you know, pray with them to accept Christ. We have to pray for the whole house, uh, cast any evil spirits out of their home, take off all these red, you know, cloths and, and, and things like that, and then remove the altar and then just spend some time discipling them. And so uh, that's just what a, a few things that God is doing in the Hmong community, uh, in the Assemblies of God. And uh, we are just so thrilled and delighted to just do God's work. Amen. The Hmong religion is made up of animism and shamanism. Animism is the belief that there is a spirit in everything. Um, and in shamanism is a person regarded as having access to the influence in the world of good and evil spirits especially among some peoples of Northern Asia and North America. And typically such people enter a trance state during a ritual and practice 
uh, divination and healing, uh, what we also call witch doctors. There are about 15 million Hmong people worldwide, and a very small percentage of uh, those are Hmong people are Christians, and so uh, we still have a lot of work to do. There's about 10 million Hmong people still living in China that don't know Jesus. And that's been a burden on me. And how do we find missionaries to go to China to minister to Hmong people there? There are 90,000 Hmong people here in the US. Um, my dad was one of the cooks for the American CIA uh, when they were based in Laos during the Vietnam War. And my parents came in 1978, left everything. They only had a few silver bars with them. Um, and that's what they used to trade with in Laos. And so they came here not knowing English, not knowing anything. And the Lutheran denomination sponsored the Hmong people. And um, I was sharing with Pastor Dan that majority of them came to Minnesota because of the, the help that we get from the government for anybody who was refugee or uh, people running from war. And as Pastor Derek said, I'm the president of Moe G Fellowship, as well as the lead pastor for Life in Christ Church. We have 18 Hmong churches here in the U.S., 50 fellowship churches in Vietnam, five in Laos, three in Thailand. We have 27 credentialed ministers here in, uh, here in the U.S., with 11 pursuing credentials at the moment, and hopefully we can bring that up to about 40 credentialed ministers. And our vision is to plant more churches and to raise up more pastors and leaders. Mongaji Fellowship is an ethnic fellowship, and ethnic fellowships are an essential part of the Assemblies of God. They provide a way to network and encourage others who are here from their native homelands. And they serve as a bridge for the districts and ethnic churches, and they are a resource for the national office. Fellowship presidents also serve as general presbytery and are a valuable part of AG's governing body. And I was elected in 2020, and I was told that I am the youngest fellowship president I wanted to share that because eventually someone's going to say it because they say it all the time. <laughs> and we actually just finished our 28th annual meeting and conference this past June. It was powerful. Again, we had Pastor Derek come for a second time. He did so well, him and his team. And uh, we invited him again uh, this year. And um, Moe G has adopted Pastor Derek as uh, one of our own. So... He's not only yours, but he's ours as well. <laughs> but Pastor Derek is just a, a great friend and uh, just a true brother in Christ. And I truly love him and uh, appreciate his leadership and ministry. And I've been a pastor for the last 13 years and I've been in ministry for the past 20 years now. And so just so thankful to be able to serve Christ uh, with the body of Christ. Let's join hearts and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. It is an honor and a privilege to stand here at Celebration Church. 20 years ago, God, I stood at the altars and uh, 
was taken to the back room and we accepted Christ. I accepted Christ here at Celebration Church. Celebration Church has a special place in my heart. Um, God, you're doing such great things out of Celebration Church, out of Pastor Derek's leadership and his team and his family. Lord, thank you so much for using Celebration Church, not only to have influence locally, but globally, God. And as churches, we, you have called us to be missional. And celebration is just that. Lord, I pray that everybody will continue to just be hungry for you and to serve you and to make a difference. And so, Lord, continue to use Celebration Church in a mighty way as you have. And so, Holy Spirit, I need you all the time. Even when I preach, Holy Spirit, if you don't give me the unction, if you don't speak through me, I don't have anything to say. And so, Holy Spirit, I depend on you all the time, 24-7. And so would you just use me as God's vessel to speak to Celebration Church today? I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Derek didn't tell me that the second service, that you guys will look even greater than the first service. (laughs) No, all you guys look great, even the first service. But I just want to share a short, my short testimony, a short version, and then we'll get into the word. Is that okay? I was born and raised in South Minneapolis. Uh, By the age of 12, I uh, got caught stealing a car and uh, was smoking cigarettes and smoking marijuana. And I got caught, sent to the juvenile detention center. And my mom came to get me out, and she was not planning to tell my dad, because she knew that if she told him that he would probably give me a good beating. So being the good wife that she is, she told him anyways. (laughs) My father went to the closet, grabbed a metal coat hanger, and beat me, and it was so painful. I couldn't breathe. I had red lashes all over my arms and my legs. And after he was done beating me, he threw the metal coat hanger to the ground and he left the house. And I remember my mom crying. I couldn't move. And she carried my little 12-year-old body to my bedroom and she prayed for me that God would, would help me, that would God would change me. I didn't go to school for like a few weeks because I was in so much pain. My parents moved to Brooklyn Center thinking that that would, would help, so we moved there in 1996. And I actually found worse friends than I had before and um, got into all sorts of drugs and crimes. And I got introduced to methamphetamine, and that's when everything went downhill. Methamphetamine is by far the worst drug on the planet. Um, I did everything for it. I robbed people. I would snatch purses from elderly women. I would break into homes and steal things. 
I would steal cars and sell them for parts just to get high. I even robbed my own family. If you know Hmong parents, they don't really believe in the bank system. So they leave all their money at home and they hide it all over the house. And uh, I would pick the lock of my parents' house and I would steal family heirloom. I would steal whatever I can get my hands on. I remember this one envelope I found. There was $7,000 in there. It was my parents' hard-earned money. And I remember reading, it says, refinance house. I didn't just take one or 200. I took the whole thing and wasted it within three days, got high and uh, wasted my dad's money. You know, I never remember being high on my bed for four days, have not slept. I remember the phone rang and it was my dad. And I've never ever heard him cry before. Like I've seen him like, you know, uh, cry a little bit at funerals. But my dad was crying, sobbing on the other line. And he says, son, all of mom and my money is gone. Did you take it? Did you steal it? And I lied to him. I said, no, I didn't take nothing. He said, if you stole it, please give it back. Because I work two jobs. Your mom works two jobs. Just so that we can provide food on the table and a roof over your head. If you took it, please, even if it's just one penny, give it back. I said, I didn't take nothing. And hung up the phone. And I was just heartless. Eventually, uh, my parents kicked me out of the house. I became homeless. I lived in my car. I slept at the parks. I would call friends if I could sleep over, and uh, I would sleep on the ground, sometimes hard concrete ground. And um, I had friends, some friends who owned restaurants, and I would go at the end of the day and beg for food from those friends. And sometimes they would give me something to eat. But then there were moments that I had nothing to eat. And I had nowhere to turn, and I wanted to take my own life. Um, actually did a few times, but God spared my life. And uh, 2003, I had just turned 20. Me and my cousin decided to rob a store at gunpoint. We got caught. I was facing five to 10 years in prison. And I remember when the, when the police officer pulled us over, he frisked me, and I had the, the wad of money in my sock, and he, he couldn't find it. But then he was like, let, let me frisk you again. And so he frisked me again, and then he found the wad of money, and he knew that it was probably me who was involved in that armed robbery that just happened literally like 10 minutes ago. And so... I'm in jail facing five to 10 years in prison, caught my fifth felony with this case. Wendy, Larry, are you here? Wendy? No. Well, Wendy, Larry, uh, at the time, worked for Teen Challenge, and she came 
into the jails and would share about Teen Challenge and would share the love of Jesus with everyone. I was one of them. And I remember uh, I spent six months in a county jail, and it was my sentencing day. And she asked me, when is your sentencing day? Because I want to come and support you. I gave her the sentencing day. I didn't think she was going to come, honestly. Like, no one came. None of my family members came. Um, Maybe my sister sat that far back, if I can remember correctly. But right when they're about to hit the gavel, she stood up in court. And she says, Your Honor, can I say something on behalf of Mr. Vu? And she's like, Who are you and why do you dare stand in my courtroom? So she introduces herself. She tells the judge that she's been meeting with me in the county jail, that I applied to Teen Challenge and got accepted. And she was pleading for me that they would let me go to Teen Challenge instead. Well, the judge and the prosecutor took a recess. 15 minutes later, they come back. I literally felt a shift in their courtroom. Like I wasn't spiritual at that time, but something told me I wasn't going to go to prison. And the judge came and sat and says, Mr. Vu, we should lock you up for a very long time because this is your fifth felony. You did an armed robbery. And she says, I don't know why I'm doing this, but we're going to let you go to Teen Challenge instead of go to prison. And May 21st, 2003, it was on a Wednesday night, my first day in Teen Challenge, we came here to Celebration Church for a Bible study with Teen Challenge. And Lowell Lundstrom at the time, he was the lead pastor, and did an altar call. And uh, I accepted Jesus Christ in Celebration Church. I don't know. Yeah, praise the Lord. I don't know if the gentleman that prayed with me is still here. If you are, I would love to shake your hand and say thank you for, for praying with me and praying for me. Make the long story short, uh, graduated Teen Challenge, but the last Sunday of, uh, with Teen Challenge, uh, we went to different churches, and you know, Teen Challenge shares testimonies and songs. Well, I'm in this church in Brooklyn Park, and I'm um, sharing my testimony. Service gets done. Everybody's still sitting. The pastor's like, Mr. Vu, why don't you come down here? So I walk down there, and this couple stands up. He goes, you know this couple? I'm like, uh, sorry, no, no, I don't know. This is the couple who owns the store you robbed. <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm in their church telling them <laughs> that I robbed their store. And uh, I, I was, my heart like wanted to leap out of my chest. I was so shameful, right? I felt so bad. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, reach out your hand and ask for forgiveness. And I reached out my hand, and I was like, sir, can you forgive me? And he shook my hand, and he forgave me. He says, that night when you and your cousin robbed our store, me and my wife, we prayed for you, that God would save your life. And so, I mean, I could have been in China that day. I just happened to be in their church telling them <laughs> that I robbed their store. I had no idea they were there. And so God just... Uh, God's amazing, isn't he? Amen. And um, 
graduated, I moved to North Dakota and helped start a Teen Challenge up there for three years. Came back to Minnesota, uh, got my credentials, graduated from North Central in 2013. That's where I met my wife again. And um, she had a crush on me first, so that's why I said met met her again. She was like, I was trying to get your attention. I was like, I was like, I don't know. At the time, I was like the Apostle Paul. Like, all my antennas, life or relationship, they were all gone. Like, they, I clipped them, right? <laughs> I didn't want no relationship. I was like, me and Jesus, right? And, um, but met again, and uh, the rest is history. So, so good to be here. Can't believe it's been 20 years. Um, so, My sermon topic today is Jesus going out of his way. Jesus going out of his way. I'm in John chapter 4, verse 1 through 18. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had baptized, made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, jo now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is about 12 p.m. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to her, to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. There are so many things that Jesus does in the Bible that truly touches my heart. And this is one of them. You must understand that to the world, this woman was not important. She was a mess. 
She was an outcast. She was sinful, a divorcee, a nobody. But you know what? Jesus Christ went out of his way for her anyways. In Laos, my parents would go draw water, and I have no understanding because I was born here in America, and we don't fetch water, right? We buy water from the store. But they had to carry jugs and go fetch water, go grab water from the river, from the well, from wherever they had to. And sometimes they would have to walk for miles. And so they would share with us that they would go early in the morning when the sun is not out so it's cooler. Or late in the evening so that the sun has set and it's not so hot. But this woman obviously comes at noon because she's an outcast. She's the gossip of the town. She's made a lot of mistakes. And she's made a lot of poor decisions. But Jesus goes out of his way for her anyways. Jesus goes out of his way for her anyways. Jesus walked 40 miles to get to this Samaritan woman. How do I know that? Because I Googled it. I even did like the Google, like if you walked right from this place to that place, right? You could choose a car, a bike, walking. I chose walking and it came out 14 hours. That's how I knew. But you have to understand that during that time, Jews and Samaritans had no dealings. And if you were to travel to Galilee, which is northern Israel, then Jews would normally go around Samaria, which was even longer. And they wouldn't just travel around Samaria. They would lock their doors and make sure they had enough gas not to stay or go through Samaria. But Jesus says, let's go through Samaria. And that's what he did. He went out of his way to get to this sinful woman to offer her eternal life. Jesus was on his way back to Galilee. If you read the end of chapter 4 to chapter 6, Jesus heals a nobleman's son. In chapter 5, Jesus heals a man at the pool of Bethesda. And there was a feast of the Jews, so, so many people were going to be there. And this was an important event for Jesus, and this was a big deal because many people would see his miracles. In chapter 6, Jesus feeds over 5,000 people. That's kind of a big deal. Right? Wouldn't you guys feel like that's a big task? The amazing thing is this. Here in John chapter 4, Jesus puts all of this on hold. And he goes out of his way to get to this one Samaritan woman. 
Jesus had all these important things to do, but yet he put all those things aside, and Jesus goes out of his way to get to this one. Everybody say one. One Samaritan woman. So then she went into town and evangelized to everyone about Jesus. And the whole town got saved, and Jesus stayed there for two more days. I mean, we would be in a rush. Like, we got to feed 5,000 people, right? We got big ministries happening. And Jesus says, no. I'm going to put all those important things on hold just for that one individual and I was that one individual I had lost everything you guys I was telling my wife I was like I'm not supposed to live this long I told her I was like I was I knew I was gonna die or be put in prison for the rest of my life and sometimes when they're sleeping at night and I'm in our sunroom at home and I'm on my face before God, I'm kissing the carpet because I used to be homeless. And now I have a family. Now I have a home. And when I think about God's saving grace and his love for you and for me, it is so tremendous and powerful and sometimes I would weep in my the sunroom at our home just crying because I'm so thankful that I have a house now and I have a family and it's people like Wendy who go after the one you guys I'm here because one of your church members took the time like Jesus when she could have gone on vacation, when she could have done bigger and better ministries. I'm a president today of the Hmong Fellowship because someone from your church decides to come to jail to share the gospel with me. That's why you guys have a special place in my heart. We drive pass here all the time to do ministry right like youth camp and you know visiting other people and ministries and i drive by here and i'm always telling my kids 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 wait hurry hurry look outside this is the church daddy got saved from even coming back like guys guys church is on the left church is on the left celebration church me and my wife we can have the most important time like babe hold on celebration church is coming <laughs> right you guys have no idea. You, you, you would be millionaires if you knew how much I talked about you and what Celebration Church means to me and what Wendy Lauer means to me and my wife and our family. And I know that ministry and things can get busy with the bigger things. But Celebration Church, don't forget the one. Because the one is so worth it. If it's worth it for Jesus, it's worth it for us. Yeah. 
And Jesus put all of that on hold for this one woman. All these important things. And he goes out of his way to reach her. And then the whole town got saved. And he stays there for two more days. And he's like, all that stuff can wait. Let me minister to these few individuals. Aren't you glad that that's the God we serve? The God who goes after the one. And many of you here, I'm sharing this and you, you get it because you were that one. And you're sitting here because someone took the time to leave all the, the grand things of ministry and church to come after you, that one. That's how much God loves us. If I had a $100 bill right now and I fold it a few times, would you guys still want it? Yeah. What if I threw it on the ground and I stumped it a hundred times? Would you still want it? Yeah. Some of you aren't sure. You're like, I don't know. Where is pastor going with this? Can I get a tissue? Sorry. What if I crumbled the $100 bill? Would you guys still want it? Yeah. What if, thank you. Excuse me. So Hmong people go to a place called Long Chang in South St. Paul. It is a place where they butcher pigs and animals. And uh, usually they use it for traditional things and things like that. Or you can go there and just butcher animals to eat. What if I went there to go and butcher a pig for my family and I dropped a $100 bill in the pig's dung? Would you still want it? Some of you are like, I don't know, Pastor. And then some of you are like, of course. Why? Because it still holds value. No matter what the $100, you can cut it in half and still go to a bank and get another $100 bill. Yes or no? No matter how much life may fold you, no matter how much life steps on you sometimes or crushes you, heck, no matter how much life stinks sometimes, you are still valuable to God. That's why that lady was so valuable to Jesus. No matter what she's gone through, she was still so valuable to God. Don't judge somebody just because they've gone through a lot or just because they've been in five relationships. Not, they might not be valuable to us, but they're valuable to God. And if they're valuable to Jesus, they should be valuable to us. Amen, church? And I want to tell you that God has pursued you and me through his son, Jesus Christ, especially on that cross 2,000 years ago. 
And the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. We have to believe the work he has done on the cross and that he has been resurrected from the grave. And through prayer and accepting him into our hearts and repenting of our sins, and truly we need to live for him. And that's a decision I made here at Celebration Church 20 years ago. I'll never forget that. What about you? Do you know that Jesus is pursuing you right now? Jesus not only went out of his way for this Samaritan woman, but Jesus also went out of his way for you and for me. I want to ask you probably the most important question is that if you died right now, would you know that you go to heaven or hell? Would you know that you go to heaven or hell? And I just want to invite all of our prayer partners to come up. And I want to give everybody an opportunity. If you're here and you've never accepted Christ, please come up and pray. I made that decision 20 years ago. And if you're not sure where you're going to go after you die, you can, you can, be, reassured, you can be assured today that if you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can go to heaven forever. Or maybe you've, you know, far from God. Maybe you've, you've, you need to rededicate your life to Jesus because you've been dabbling in sin. You've been watching things you are not supposed to watch and those things have become something in your heart that drew you away from God, draws you away from God. Or maybe you're here and you just need a word of encouragement. You just need prayer for something, a new job for your health. Maybe you have sickness in your body and you need healing in your body. Come up and we'll pray for you. So at this moment, that's what we want to do. So we still have time. Feel free to come up and get some prayer. We hope that you learned something from this message and are able to apply it to your life. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or for the 10th time, please reach out to us on Facebook or email us at info at celebrationchurch.net. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next week.